This is an ABC podcast. This week, a star. October is the month of achievement in science, starting with the Nobel Prizes. Then we go, as we did last week, to the Prime Minister's Awards, as we broadcast in the Science Show. More this week coming up. And then we have in October the announcement of the ARC, that's the Research Council's Future Fellowships. One of these, a fellowship of great prestige, went to Natasha Hurley-Walker of Curtin University's Institute of Radio Astronomy in Perth. I know she's a star because she was also, a couple of years ago, one of our top scientists at the ABC, doing broadcasts about her research on galaxies and our own Milky Way. She was also one of West Australia's tall poppies, and like many thoughtful scientists, concerned not only about her own field, but the significant conundrums of our age. Here she's speaking at our Occam's Razor event in Perth. A thought experiment. Can we afford no limits to growth? Is the universe a magic pudding? Natasha. Right now, around the world, there is an ongoing debate about energy. How do we fuel our cars? Keep the lights on. Run our factories, computers and phones. Given how much we do with energy, it's important for us to make the right choices. As an astrophysicist, I'd like to offer you a slightly different perspective on energy. The way I see it, we can only choose to use three sources of energy. Stars that exploded a long time ago, the past of our own sun, and the sun as it is now. Let me explain. We usually talk about nuclear, fossil fuel, and renewable energy. Nuclear energy comes from materials like uranium and plutonium that undergo fission. The atoms naturally split over time, releasing energy. These elements were formed in supernova explosions around six and a half billion years ago. From the ashes of those supernovae, our own solar system formed, and some of that uranium sank into the Earth's crust, where we can choose to dig it out and use it for power. So that's option one, energy from old exploded stars. As for option two, coal, oil, and other fossil fuels, the clue is in the name. In the past, our sun shone brightly on plants, which in turn were eaten by animals. Fossilized deposits of these animals and plants transformed into coal and oil over tens of millions of years. What we're doing right now is burning through an archive of frozen sunlight in a geological eye blink. Renewables like wind, solar, and hydroelectricity are option three. They use the sun's fusion energy right now, either directly in the case of solar or by harnessing the movement of wind or the water cycle. Currently, our global energy usage is rising by about 2% every year. That doesn't sound like much, but that means that our usage doubles every 35 years, about my lifetime so far. If this trend continues, what could our energy mix look like in the future? I'm going to take you far into that future in a cosmic energy thought experiment. First, let's assume economic growth is non-negotiable, as our leaders have done for decades. And let's also assume that economic growth is tied to energy use, as it has been in the past. Let's look at our immediate energy future. We already know from climate studies that we need to cease our damaging use of fossil fuels. They're finite in any case, so there's no sense in continuing to support them, since we'll have to transition away from them eventually. Are there any politicians here? (laughs) How about nuclear? Well, 
the total amount of accessible fissionable material is enough for 230 years of consumption at current rates. But that's less than a century if we continue to grow at 2%. And it's less than 10 years if we were to switch all of our energy generation over at once. So nuclear is not the answer. How about solar? The Earth receives a trillion times more energy from the sun than we're currently obtaining from nuclear fission. All we need to do is cover the entire Earth in solar panels, and we are golden for 500 years. If it's economic growth we want, planet-wide solar is the answer. For now. But as our growth continues and our energy needs with it, there will come a time when even capturing all the sunlight falling to Earth won't cut it. Will that spell the end of economic growth? Or is there a way that we could capture even more of the sun's fusion energy? After all, right now we're just wastefully letting most of it dissipate into space. To find a solution, we have to enter the world of science fiction. In 1960, Freeman Dyson coined the term Dyson Sphere, the concept of entirely encircling a star in a shell of energy-capturing material. This sphere would sit well out from the sun, and it would trap all of that wonderful solar energy for use in work, computation, running an ecosystem, whatever you like. But where are we going to get an energy-capturing Dyson sphere? Don't worry, I have done the calculations. If we dismantle all of the planets in the solar system, and we find a way to convert all of that pesky hydrogen in the gas giants into something useful, like steel, we could build a shell completely surrounding the sun all the way out to the orbit of the Earth. It would only be about a meter deep, but I'm sure we'll figure something out. It's a lot of trouble to go to, but the important thing is that our economic growth and energy needs could keep growing unabated for a thousand years. With nothing standing in the way of that 2% growth rate, in the year 3019, we will have dismantled the solar system and completed our Dyson Sphere and be living prosperously on the sun-facing inside of the shell. But we still need to keep growing. So it's time to expand to the next solar system. If you need to maintain a 2% growth rate, then you've got to cover the next star over with a Dyson Sphere within 35 years of finishing our own. That's okay. Fortunately, the next solar system is a mere three light years away and is a triple star system. The closest star, Proxima Centauri, and a binary pair called Alpha Centauri A and B. So once you've Dyson sphered Proxima, you still have another 35 years to cover both of the binary stars in order to keep your doubling going. Hopefully by that point, we've figured out a method to keep expanding across the galaxy and we can just keep going like a virus for another few tens of thousands of years. We will reach a problem once we've captured all of the Milky Way's energy. There's no choice but to move on to other galaxies. There's a few dwarf galaxies nearby, well, within a few hundred thousand light years, but they have only tens of millions of stars in them, and that's not actually enough to hit that 2% target. The closest galaxy that is like our own is Andromeda, and it's 2.4 million light years away. I've thrown around a lot of numbers in this talk, so let's just slow down and appreciate that 2.4 million light years. Even traveling at the speed of light, a feat which is widely considered, and quite rightly, impossible, it will take more than 35 years to get there. <laughs> 
even if we could get to Andromeda and cover it in Dyson spheres in a reasonable time frame, our energy growth rate would take a hit while we cover that vast distance. It would reduce to 0.0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0.003%, which some people might call a recession. <laughs> Assuming we could overcome that slump, there are more galaxies out there for us to Dyson up, but eventually all stars run out of hydrogen, and in a few billion years, the galaxies will go dark. What then? You came to a talk by an astronomer, so I'm sure you suspected black holes were going to come up sooner or later. <laughs> Here they are. Once all the stars are dead, we'll move into our post-fusion age, where we exploit the enormous tidal forces of black holes. The gravity of black holes is so intense that it completely shreds matter that falls into them. And with 30% efficiency, converts that mass directly into energy, which of course we'll harness. Oh yes, by this stage, we're such an advanced civilization that we are shredding stars to charge our phones. But eventually, we'll run out of dead stars to throw into black holes. What then? This is where it gets wild. We can start to extract energy from the black holes themselves. All those stars that we throw in increase the spin of the black holes. And this causes them to drag the fabric of space-time around with them, like a whirlpool. If we send in light at just the right angle, the light is accelerated to a higher energy. So we could use that energy to keep our civilization going. By slowly draining the black holes of their spin, we can keep the lights on for a few trillion more years. That might sound like an eternity, but it's not. Eventually, there will be no energy left in the universe to exploit. Everything will be cold and still, and no useful work can be performed. What happens then? According to our best cosmological predictions, nothing, forever. Everything, even economic growth, <laughs> stops. I told you we're going far into the future with that thought experiment, but there is a more pressing future upon us right now. We do need to think carefully about the sources of energy we want to use here on Earth today. I'd like to point out that whichever one we choose, we must consider the effect of doubling our economic activity every 35 years. Simply putting aside the impacts of biodiversity loss, pollution, resource depletion, and climate change, all of our economic activity generates a lot of heat. And you don't even need a trillion-year thought experiment to calculate the outcome of that. In the surprisingly short time of a few hundred years, just a few more doublings away, the heat from our economic activity will be enough to literally boil the oceans. Unbridled economic growth might be possible somewhere sometime, but it's not something we can live with here on Earth right now. So if we want any sort of future, here or out amongst the stars, we need to think carefully about what we do next. Thank you. Yes, time to think carefully about what we do next, the maths of the magic pudding and the lessons of a finite universe. Brand new ARC Future Fellow, Dr Natasha Hurley-Walker from Curtin University, speaking at the Occam's Razor event in Perth. Congratulations on that fellowship and a timely talk, Natasha.
I'm Robin Williams. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.